0: Hey loves, welcome to The Quick Tip. I'm your host, DeJada. And I'm Kamisa, and we are a part of the team at Afia Community Mental Wellness in Chicago. The Quick Tip is a podcast where we discuss relatable topics and
1: Black women's mental wellness. We provide thoughtful reflections, quick tips, and leave you with some things to take action on to improve your mental wellness. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast.
0: Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Quick Fit Podcast. This is your host, Kamisha Jada is out for today. So I will be the one um, hosting the podcast. So today our topic is navigating workplaces as a woman of color. So most black women will work and have a job at some time in their lifetime. But with those experiences, navigating the workplace can be different and sometimes challenging. And today we will chat with Emily Williams about how she's navigated workplaces as a black woman, how she's helping women thrive and find their voice at work. Just to give you some more information about who Emily is, she is a coach and consultant of Emily R. Williams coaches women of color to accelerate positive change at work and in their personal lives. When they do, they help to create a world for everyone. Emily has written policies to end sexual harassment and increase inclusion in workplaces nationally and globally, including at the United Nations. Emily has worked with national governments, institutions of higher education, companies, nonprofits, and advocates in more than 20 countries to advance social justice. Emily provides consulting, speaking, leadership coaching, and training to organizations. In her spare time, you can find Emily dancing to Chicago house music or checking out cute cafes. Emily, welcome to the Quick Tip Podcast.
1: Thank you, Kamisha. I'm so happy to be here. And tell us a little bit
0: about yourself and your story and what led you to focus on supporting women of color in the workplace.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you said my name is emily williams you read my bio i'm a coaching consultant before i started my consultancy i worked for more than 10 years in social justice and organizational development and immediately in the nine to five that i had before i started coaching women of color i was working around the world with women activists usually union members And I was working with them around how to end gender-based violence and harassment in the world of work. So, Mm. you know, I was doing trainings around the world. And actually I had been like on a five country tour in Africa where I was doing this training that was, you know, working with women to identify instances of violence at work and also to kind of like map experiences of harassment, understand the impact. And so I had done that in five countries. And of course, I was encouraging women to speak up, right, to advocate for themselves, to develop solutions that would work for them, their colleagues in their workplaces and in their countries. And then I got back to my office in D.C. and I realized that I was experiencing harassment at work and that I was in a very toxic work environment. And so I said to myself, you know, I can't be out here, you know, just talking the talk, right? I have to also, you know, do what I've been advocating for other women to do. And so I, I filed a claim of harassment. At my job, and as is the case for many women of color who file claims of harassment, it gets dismissed effectively. Mm-hmm. And so then I filed an external claim of discrimination, and then I represented myself at that negotiating table and negotiated a life changing settlement for myself. And not only that, the settlement was important, but then also, in that process, because it can take a while, right? From the time that mm-hmm. you actually file the claim and then when you get to the end result. And in that time, I worked closely with other people of color in my workplace. To make changes, right? To like raise awareness about what the people of color were experiencing in that workplace. And it was a pretty large workplace. You know, we have more than 300 employees. We're working in 60 countries around the world. So there were a lot of people there. And the more that I connected with other women of color, other people of color in the organization, we started to really kind of unearth some really troubling experiences that people were having. But rather than just hold on to that, or rather than just quit right away, we said, no, let's organize, right? Let's, let's come together. (laughs) (laughs) Let's like, you know, let's create some visibility around these problematic experiences and then let's put forward some solutions. And so we were successful in that. And the organization actually did um, implement a lot of the changes that we were calling for, or at least some of them that we were calling for. And so I wanted to get into coaching because I want women of color to know that they have more than just two options, right? To either suffer through a toxic work environment or just quit, right? Mm -hmm. Often when we just quit, you know, we may, maybe we get a reprieve from like the toxicity, but oftentimes we're still dealing with the anxiety, right? We're still Mm -hmm. dealing with, you know, the financial pressures that come with just quitting a job. Right. So, you know, that comes with other things. And when we actually advocate for ourselves, like in the face of these really serious challenges, right. We can actually learn like our power, we can feel it and then we can know it. Right. And that's, that's why I coach women of color, right. Because we actually do have the power to create change, right. In our workplaces and in these super toxic, experiences, actually. So that's why I, I coach women of color. And, you know, the other part of my consulting is actually working with companies so that they can build workplace cultures where women of color don't always have to advocate for themselves, just for the basics of a mm-hmm. safe working environment, right? Well, thank you for sharing
0: your story, Emily. It's very powerful um, in terms of like how there was such a difficult and challenging experience and you've moved from that to like empowerment um and also to transformation so thank you for the work that you've done and for sharing your story and how you're really coaching and helping women of color in the workplace navigate these issues that we shouldn't have to be dealing with at all. because most people They just want to go to work and they want to go home and they, you know, they all this other stuff in between is totally. It's just heartbreaking to hear
1: this. It is, is, and it's unnecessary. And not only do people like mostly want to go to work and then go home, they want to go to work and do a good job. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they want to contribute to their workplaces. That's why they're there. You know, but so oftentimes, women of color, people of color, are pushed to the point where it's like, you know. I'm just going to do the minimum and then get out of here, you know, because it's such a a difficult environment. And that's, that's one thing that employers need to understand is that if you treat people well, they'll treat you well, (laughs) right. Mm -hmm. They'll contribute their best, you know? And so that's a reminder for employers. Right. And it can be a little bit more complicated than that, but yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And what are some of the common challenges that, you know, the women that you worked with and even in your personal experience and with your colleagues that what are just some like common challenges that women are trying to navigate in the workplace?
1: Yeah, well, one is um, visibility and recognition, right? You know, there's a lot of really brilliant women of color who are in my life, and who come to me for coaching services, right? And really it's the kind of thing where, you know, the women of color have the best ideas in the room, right? But they so rarely get recognized for it. A woman of color who's works in marketing here in Chicago, she told me that she, that her company is like currently navigating some challenges and some shifts related to AI right? Artificial intelligence. (laughs) She said that six months ago in, you know, a staff meeting, she raised her hand and shared an idea, a strategy about how the company could prepare for this shift towards AI. And then also probably weather the storm a little bit more effectively than they are currently. And she said, no one heard her. Right. But then six months later, You know, it's a white man who says something very similar to what she said. And it's, you know, the best thing since sliced bread, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's common. So many women of color experience that, right? Where their voices just aren't heard, where they have these great ideas, they're making contributions, they don't get credit for it, right? And that credit could be anything from recognition and acknowledgement in that meeting, wow, great idea. Let's continue on that line of conversation, right? To, okay, you know what? Your strategy, you're one of the best strategists in this company. Let's promote you, right? So that recognition, you know, it it has different levels of impact, but that's one common thing that women of color almost across the board say, right? And then, you know, the other thing is that there is chronic microaggressions, right? And, you know, we're not talking about the just, you know, the things that, you know, where, where really people actually maybe deserve the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they don't know about a holiday, let's say, right? So they ask in the lunchroom, okay, fine. The kind of microaggressions that we're talking about are, are much more than that, right? Things like, women's supervisors, not copying them on emails that they, that have information that the women of color need to actually do their job. Right. Or, um, things like not being allowed to access professional development opportunities, things like that, right? Like those things are, are chronic and they're more severe than asking about a holiday that someone doesn't know. Right. Or I would even venture to say that those kinds of microaggressions are even more severe than saying, telling someone that they're articulate, right? You know, they're, mm-hmm.
0: micro- they're sabotaging.
1: Yeah, exactly. 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 100%. And so micro, chronic microaggressions are a common experience. Also, things like bullying, harassment, you know, just like the constant, like putting people down taking work assignments away, right? Not giving feedback that women actually need, right? In order to do their job or, you know, the privileging of others, you know, people who don't, who junior people over women of color who are more senior level positions, right? I see all of these kinds of things, or, you know, actually I have one woman in my coaching program She's a regional director, and her supervisor, um, who was a man, you know, routinely took credit for her work, right? So he took credit mm. for her wins, right? Those kinds of things are, are a lot of what I see. And how are you seeing these
0: things impact women's well-being, um, specifically, you know, mental wellness, like- all these, you know, microaggressions and not being recognized and all those different things, how is it showing up in how they're able to take care of themselves or just like their well-being in journey?
1: Well, number one, it begins to chip away at women's self-esteem, right? And, you know, so often, and I have an ebook about this around microaggressions. And so, you know, I'm sure we can share information at the end about how women Mm -hmm. can access this. And I talk about this in the ebook is that it's a myth, right? I think we, I'm sure you grew up with this. I grew up hearing this, that like sticks and stones may break your bones, but words may never hurt you, right? That is a myth, right? Microaggressions can be very harmful. And so one of the ways that we see that harm playing out is that over time, it begins to chip away at women's self-esteem right? So when it actually comes time for them to like advocate for themselves, right? Or own their work, you know, they're in a place of, you know, feeling like they still have to do better because they haven't gotten recognition at their workplace, right? Or maybe it was something they're focused on what they did wrong as opposed to all the things that they do really well, right? So that's one way, right? Just that, like the, the low self-esteem, The other way is that it creates a lot of anxiety, right? If you know you have to go into meetings day in and day out with a supervisor who really doesn't want you to be successful, you're going to be thinking about that before you go into that meeting, as opposed to how can I shine brightly today, right? You're going to be thinking about, oh man, she's going to say this. Last week she said that. She's going to put this, you know, mediocre junior person, you know, front and center when really it should be me. And those are the kinds of things that, you know, creates a lot of mental clutter. It becomes really heavy. And then we're not focused on being our best selves. Right. And I would say also a lot of overperforming. Right. I see that's a good one. Yeah. I see a lot of women of color who are doing the most. Right. And it's good work. Right. It's work that their company actually needs, but it's not work that they're getting compensated for. It's not work that they're getting recognized for, and it's they're also um, wearing themselves down, exhausting themselves in overperforming. So those are the main things that I see, right? Um, and I see those things routinely. And listen, it's one hundred percent a logical response, right? When you are in that kind of environment, you are trying to survive, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you know, if for women who are listening, if you, you know, recognize yourselves and responding those ways, don't get down on yourself about that, right? You know, there are ways that we can reorient to the workplace so that that's not our default response, right? There's no judgment there. And and I've been there, right? I, I know how it goes, but all of that comes at a personal cost to us, right?
0: Yeah, thank you for just highlighting those things. I know too many women who've experienced the blows to their self esteem, you know, confidence, not feeling recognized or appreciated, doing more work, getting less support and recognition, and those things definitely wear on people, you know, over time. And Like with your coaching program, how do you support women who are experiencing those things to move from that place to feeling, you know, agency, empowered to feel like they have control, you know, over these things, really over their work experience is what I'm trying Mm -hmm. to say.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one, I mean, self advocacy, right? That's what I teach. And I teach it in two ways. One is like actually like the personal capacity that we need to advocate for ourselves. Right. So that's, you know, the things like recognizing the first signs of toxicity, right. Because they're often there at the beginning, we have to be able to see them and then we have to be equipped to actually respond to them in ways that create accountability, right. Because that accountability then creates protection for ourselves. So, It's about building up that capacity and that also includes things like how are we taking care of ourselves and not in like getting manicures and pedicures, having a spa day, but like really like getting to the core of who we are and allowing that, honoring that and then also allowing that to lead at work, right? And in the decisions that we make about our work lives, right? Um. And so there's that aspect of the coaching program, which is the self-advocacy. But then the other part of self-advocacy is hard and fast negotiation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's the communication tools that like allow us to get more of what we want and what we need, right? And, you know, people can say what they want, but we're almost always negotiating in the workplace. And if we're not, we should be. Right? Because it's a transactional space where they're under an agreement, right? We're there to exchange labor for compensation, right? And so when we keep that front and center and we negotiate that, we fare much better, right? And so in my coaching programs, I also teach negotiation skills. And that's everything from, you know, how to set up the negotiations to like role plays and then. How do you actually approach salary negotiation so that you can make more money? Right. So that's like the content of my coaching programs. But what I also do in the coaching program, what a, hu- a huge part of it is the community with other women of color who have been there, who are in the same place right now, you know, with you. And number one, there's that affirmation right? Because it's so easy to think, oh, there's something wrong with me. That's why Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I'm right. But then when you're sitting there with 10 other women of color who are experiencing very similar things in different workplaces, it's apparent, you know, this, there's something else that's going on here. That's actually not me. Right. So that in and of itself is liberating. Right. And then you learn from what they're experiencing you know, their lessons, right? When they have wins, that feels like a win for you too. And then you know that you can do it, right? And then also that like community also encourages you and holds you and supports you, right? Because that's the other thing is that there's so much isolation, right? Especially for women of color when we're having, when we're in a toxic work environment or just a challenging experience. Cause sometimes, Maybe your workplace isn't so toxic, but you're just trying to get from one level to the next. And that can be isolating, right? Because you're trying to do it on your own. There's not so many people who can speak to that experience. But when you're in my coaching programs, you have that community. And that community holds you, supports you, and encourages you, right? So you know, while people are in the community or in the coaching programs, we see them make leaps, right? And getting new jobs and increasing their salaries by, you know, upwards of thirty forty thousand $40,000, right? Because they have that support. And so often we're trying to do it alone, you know? And so that's the other part of the coaching program that, that makes a, a, a big difference for women.
0: And what are some tips that you would give, you know, black women in terms of finding a workplace that honors who they are as a person, like even outside of what they do and also, you know, honors their talents as well.
1: Yeah, it's really hard. So let me say that. <laughs> and often, and this is why, you know, I do the self-advocacy and help women recognize the signs of toxicity and then create accountability around those at the first sign, as soon as they recognize them, because when we're going through the interview process, you know, the company's putting their best foot forward, right? And, you know, toxicity can come from lots of places within a company, within a workplace. So it may not be your direct supervisor. It may not be anybody on your team. It could be somebody else who's in another department who feels threatened and they start gossiping about you, right? The next thing you know, they're creating problems for you. So I I think it's better to build up the skill set to advocate for yourself, right? And create accountability at work. So I'll say that. Now, I've worked in workplaces of varying that are of varying levels of toxicity. <laughs> some that are highly toxic and then others that are, you know, toxic from time to time, and then some that have not been toxic, right? And I don't know that there was anything at like the interview point that would have told me that, right? But I will say this, I think it's an advantage if you can work somewhere where you know other people who either work there or who have worked there, and then they can vouch and say, here's how the company handles these things, right? Or maybe a company has actually gone through like a process of accountability and then you know, someone who, you know, who works there can say, actually the supervisor, you know what, they made a really poor decision that a lot of people are negatively impacted. And then those workers spoke up, held that supervisor accountable and that supervisor actually listened and changed their behavior. Right. So I would say that that's probably the, the, the best way. I think first you have to like build up that skill set of self-advocacy, just like you would any other professional mm-hmm. skill. And then two, if you can work somewhere where you know others and you trust those other people, right, where those other people have worked and you trust them and they can vouch for the workplace, they can vouch for a particular department or a particular supervisor, then I would say, go ahead with that, right? But, you know, short of, I think probably the obvious when people are looking at like Glassdoor reviews and things like that. Yeah,
0: Glassdoor, oh. indeed too, Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah.
1: Because there'll be red flags there, but not everybody, some workplaces are so toxic where where people won't even leave reviews or people leave with NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, and they can't, Ooh. they can't write on Glassdoor, right? So, you know, Glassdoor may be a, a place where you can see some red flags, but it also may not, right? So, yeah, I think learn the skills of self-advocacy and negotiation and then if you can you know try to target places where you know people have worked and they can vouch for the workplace and and who would be your colleagues i think that would be the next best way
0: thank you emily those are all great um ways to like kind of be as proactive like as you can in your search for a workplace that would be fitting you know for you in terms of like advancement some a place that you know honors who you are your talents, leadership you know good leadership because so many people quit their jobs because of leadership you know and so those things are just really important so i appreciate you for highlighting those and what are some support resources you know you offer a coaching program Um, Which is a huge resource to women, but are there any other support resources that you can think of that could be helpful for women as they're navigating workplace challenges or trying to find a workplace that's going to be the best fit for them?
1: Yeah, my biggest piece of advice is like, just don't do it alone you know, have community and, you know, may not always be your co-workers in a particular workplace, can't always trust them, right. It may not be your family, right. Because they just may not understand exactly what you're trying to do. And, you know, I think for a lot of us, you know, our parents still come from the generation where, you know, they got one job and they stayed there until retirement, right. Like, <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm. it doesn't apply anymore. Right. And, you know, do the things like, you know, join the associations, you know, get out and network, right? In real life, you know, where the pandemic is officially over, right? And so we can, we can do that. We can go back out in person and, and meet people. And, you know, in this is so important and it's so hard for women to do, but invest in yourself. Right. We have to do that. That's when women invest in themselves, that's when they make leaps forward. Right. Because you have what got you to wherever you are is not going to get you to that next level. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we have to do things like investing in the coaching programs. We have to do things like investing in the conferences so that we can network. Right. I mean, we have to do those things so that we can actually get ahead. And the key to that is really thinking about it as an investment right? (laughs) You know, you, you pay a little money up front, but then your return is much greater, right? So keep that in mind and, and do that, right? Like if you're inclined to join a coaching program, join it, right? If you're inclined to go to a conference, go, you know, that's probably your intuition telling you something, right? So that's what I would also say. And then, you know, have a, have a community, right? Absolutely. Don't try to do it alone. Because it's it's too hard that way and it's so much more fun um, when we do it with others, other good women.
0: Yes, absolutely. Having that community support throughout the process is, is very vital because it can be, you know, very isolating. Um, so now we're going to go to our hot topic. Um, so Black women are getting leadership positions across many sectors. So whether that's corporate, nonprofit, um, this—I mean, businesses. I—it's not another day where there's another. This is the first black woman that's been in this position, or, you know, they're, we're getting these positions. But I also think, like, are these women being supported? Like, is this a genuine, you know, um, position? Right? Like, is this? position that this person occupies, like, do these people genuinely want them there? And one of the things that I think, I think it's called the glass cliff or something like that, where, you know, yeah. there'll be a woman who will get into leadership and then as time goes on, you know, there's all these tactics and things that happen where, you know, they end up leaving, you know, the position. So... All that to say, like, what are your thoughts about like Black women being more visible in leadership, and what are some of the benefits, but also like what are some of the challenges with occupying leadership, especially in organizations and places that have never had a person of color in leadership?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's such a great question. Well, number one, I love it. I love to see more Black women in in you know, powerful leadership positions and with a lot of visibility. Right. So, you know, and so many more deserve to be there. Right. Yes. Um, (laughs) So I'll say that, you know, I think the challenges, you know, this part about the glass cliff is so interesting because I see it happening a lot, right. Where, all right, you know, the company's basically about to fail. So, all right, we're going to put a woman of color here. Here's now when we're going to put a woman of color in here. And more often than not, she turns it around. (laughs) You know, she does a really great job. Right. And, you know, for most women who get to that position, you know, they probably, I'm sure they're already pretty savvy negotiators and they're pretty savvy at, you know, advocating for themselves. That's why they're there. And for, you know, other black women who want to get to those places it's also then about negotiating the supports that you need, right? Because you're likely not going to walk into a position like that where you ha- where you automatically have the support you need. You're going to have to like negotiate that and create that a little bit for yourself. The other thing that I think is like a real challenge about being in, you know, like a top executive role or, you know, a highly visible leadership role is that people will project a lot of their stuff onto you, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even like, you know, even, you know, people maybe who you wouldn't expect, like maybe your employees or your team members who maybe are also people of color or also women of color, right? Because what they're doing is they're responding to your power, you know? And, And probably the ways in which you're owning your power, which, you know, when people are projecting, it may or may not be warranted. Often it's not warranted, right? But that then becomes you know, one of those issues to navigate. And I think it can be a real disappointment too, because I think a lot of women, at least this is my experience and many of my clients who are in, you know, senior leadership roles, executive roles, they they go in with the intentions of building a different kind of culture, a more inclusive culture, a culture where everybody can thrive, right? Where they want everybody to own their strengths and their gifts. But that actually is a two-way street, right? As a leader, you can come in and and, you know, and do the things to create that kind of culture, but then also your team members need to participate in ways that allow that as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one is, is, is recognizing when other people are projecting onto you, right. Cause that's not yours to hold. And I think the other thing is that, you know, when we are in these glass cliff roles, right. It's a challenge because any time that you are, you know, stepping into a new leadership role, especially like an executive role, you're going to want to do well. You're going to want to succeed and you probably have the capacity to do so. And you know it, right? But what's required to like make the thing successful is going to take a lot of work, right? At least in that Mm -hmm. first year year and a half, two years. And so that's really gonna have to be a balance, right? Of you know what we were talking about before, not overworking, right? Or being really selective or really choosy about when you overwork and why, right? And then also getting the right people around you, right? Who can like really help build, you know, or or revive the thing. Those are the things that I think are are challenging when you take on, when, when women and black women are in leadership roles like that. Right. And then again, you know, it's, it's just balancing work and personal, you know, and sometimes it might look like, all right, these six months, like it's going to be a sprint for six months, but then I'm taking two weeks and I'm going to the beach, you know, or whatever it is. Right. But we have to do that, that balancing. And, you know, I would also just say like, you know, when we're in these kinds of influential roles in these executive levels, like, you know, also don't be afraid to make the culture shifts, right? You know, on so many levels, people expect it, people want it. And that's a really big difference that you can make when you're in that position. So, yeah. Thank you, Emily.
0: Those were like such great insights about it's a great thing that's happening, but also like what you can do if you are in that type of position wow. to just be able to navigate um, the experience, like uh, being in leadership. And it's not easy, right? There's usually, you know, more obstacles uh, or more challenges than you know, our, you know, our white friends, you know, when they're in leadership as well. So it definitely takes like a lot of tenacity and perseverance, but also being empowered in leadership, you do have the power to really shift things. Um, And so that makes a huge difference as well. So um, we're going to close out with some final takeaways, some final quick tips, you know, based on our conversation today. So Emily, could you share any final quick tips and takeaways for our audience?
1: Yeah, I would say number one, you know, treat self-advocacy and negotiation the way you would any other professional skill and learn it, right? We have coaching programs that can help with that. The other quick tip that I would have is, you know, when you do get into these leadership positions, like own it you know, <laughs> like that's what so much of, you know, that's what we've been working for so many of us, right. To get into these roles and to have that kind of influence, like really own that and really feel good about that. Right. It could be easy to, you kind of focus on the stress or like the pressure of it. That's part of it. But also like, you know, you're, you're ready for that. You're prepared for that, you know? And so then just remember to enjoy it too. Thank you,
0: Emily. And my final quick tip is to have a community of support no matter where you're at in the process. Like Emily was sharing, your community support can be at work. It can be people outside of work, friends, family, um, a professional network, etc. cetera, uh, to be able to navigate your experiences at work. All of us for the most part have, uh, will work in a workplace. And so This is something that we'll be negotiating, you know, for the rest of our lives, unless you stumble upon a lot of money, you can retire early or something like that. So, you know, having a community of support is just critical throughout your workplace experience. So thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Quick Tip Podcast. Emily, if you could share how people can get connected to you, we'll also put your information in the show notes.
1: Yes. And I also just want to share one more tip, get a good therapist. You know, you might need one. Yes. (laughs) You can help with that. (laughs) It's important. (laughs) Um, So you can find me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active with all of like my career content, um, which is Emily R. Williams forward ever. And then also I'm at Instagram at Hey Emily Raquel. That's R-A-Q-U-E-L. And then my website is forwardwithemily.com. So definitely
0: reach out. I would love to hear from you. Great, great. Well, thank you, Emily, for being a guest. This is our third episode in the Black Women at Work series. Our next episode will focus on creating your own way. So entrepreneurship as a Black woman. So tune into that next episode. Thank you all for listening. Take care of all of you and be well. Thank you for tuning in to the Quick Tip Podcast with Sissa Afia. Stay connected with us by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Sissa Afia. Join us for one of our upcoming groups, classes, or workshops. And sign up for therapy if you're an Illinois resident at www.sissaafia.com services. And if you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We greatly appreciate you for being a part of our community and we look forward to connecting with you soon. Take care.